0: This podcast may include adult content. Bound Off is an independent, nonprofit audio magazine committed to paying authors for their work. To join us in our mission of broadcasting great stories to a worldwide audience, please consider dropping us a dollar or two at boundoff.comslash donate. Support for this episode comes from the Loft Literary Center, located in Minneapolis, Minnesota, one of the nation's leading literary nonprofits, offering a wide array of online creative writing classes. For all levels and genres. Online classes are offered seasonally. Find out how to register at loft.org. Welcome to Bound Off, a literary audio broadcast. In this edition, we have two stories, Love Battles by Jenny Shea and How to Feed a Penguin by Anna Sakin. Love Battles, written and read by Jenny Shea. Listening time, 7 minutes, 54 seconds
1: will Fong retrieved the old Apache rug from the corner of her studio where she kept the other props of her trade a chalkware bust of Mozart, paint flecked easels, warped glassware culled from estate sales. She dragged the rug to the center of her studio and let it fall against the floor. Dust went spinning through light emitted by large windows on the western wall. She unfurled it with her feet. Nudging the toe of her Birkenstocks into the geometric pattern of burnt sienna and raw ochre, remembering, as she always did, the six months she had spent in residency at the University of New Mexico with her husband, Alan, eight years before he died. The air in the studio carried the strangely human smell of oil paint, like unwashed hair. Next, she dragged a wooden chair over the rug and angled it so that its legs crouched over a corner. I would check the composition with her painting, which was large for her, 72 by 48, and swung around to face David, who was undressing for the last time. He had already taken off his sweater and stood now by the door in a white shirt and jeans worn at the knee. David had dark, curled hair and dark skin that she achieved with yellow oxide, nicoazole gold, quinacridone violet. He grabbed the ends of his shirt with crossed arms and slipped it over his head, turning slightly to discard it on the floor and exposing the three freckles across his left shoulder blade. Watching him, Aiwoo felt again the warmth of his back against her face and the slight give of his torso under her fingers. She thought of the times she had cupped each freckle with pursed lips, her hands tightening around him and traveling to the fleecy place where his belly dipped below his belt. David faced her as he stepped out of his jeans and his blue boxers. They looked at each other, tried to memorize each other. David arrived at Micah two years ago as an MFA candidate. He painted cityscapes at nighttime, fluorescent storefronts illuminating flat blue compositions. Iowa thought he had promised, but he was paralyzed by self-criticism. For his self-portrait assignment in the first semester, David had painted himself as Persephone of the Underworld, holding a pomegranate under the glare of a blue lamp. The class had praised the figure's weird, ecstatic grimace, but he had reproachfully bitten his thumbnail through the critique. Awu had said nothing when he lingered after class, straddling a workbench and tapping a beat onto the stained wood. She had only nodded when he lamented the portrait's failure to portray the awful love of Hades, dark and everlasting. While David assumed his position in the chair, slouching against the left arm with one foot propped on a bottom rung, Iwu turned on the space heater. It took on its nectarine glow. She gathered her long hair, dyed black to hide the, sil- the silver filaments, hair that had once pooled on David's chest as her body rode over his, and pulled it into a bun that swung heavily against the nape of her neck. Are you warm enough, asked Iwu. Should I turn the heater up? "'I'm fine,' he said with a slight adjustment to his shoulder. "'Behind the canvas, ai faced another David, "'an elongated David rendered in thick ropes of color. "'Raised welts of oil paint clung to his kneecaps, "'pink and inflamed in the painting. "'She raised her brush. "'The pig bristles scraped against him. "'Who will you paint now that your favorite model is graduating?' "'asked David. ai Leaning forward to articulate the bead of light on his wrist, imagined that it was the man on the canvas speaking to her. She smiled and the corners of her mouth bunched into petals. Who knows? Maybe I'll give up painting altogether. What will you do instead? I'll cook. I'll clean. I'll sleep. Old women's work. You're not old. You're beginning to make me feel that way. She wiped the brush against a paper towel and picked up a curl of cadmium green, which she placed in the soft concave of his armpit. It was David who had approached Ai Wu, slowly and readily, with a student's eagerness. He now knew as much as any man had ever known about her, save her husband, Alan. He knew that her given name was Jinghua, Leek Flower, but that she had changed it during the Cultural Revolution to love battles, something more militant and deserving of the Red Guard. She had served because Mao had outlawed her arranged marriage and liberated the woman, had placed a gun in her hands. David knew the melodies of revolutionary songs she had sung as a teenager, smashing the porcelain of diplomats and stripping their expensive curtains. David knew these things because unlike the others, the men her age, he didn't try to erode her memories of Alan. He let Iwu speak in the dark, under the blankets, his broad hand running down her spine and cupping her buttocks. With her face so close to David's that she could feel their lips brushing together as she spoke, I will resurrected Alan backpacking through Hangzhou with a chain of white magnolias around his neck. She remembered the pencil the pencil shavings that would sift down from Alan's sketchbook and cling to her cheeks as she posed on their bamboo mat. She fell asleep telling ghost stories to keep what she had with David from being real. After Alan died, she had decided to be alone. She had no children. Until David, she kept no lover. In sleep, she dreamed the rice paddies that she had waded through as a farmer's daughter, the terraces cut into the wild green mountainside, the clouds reflected in the silver water, the wind that turned the sweat on her upper lip to salt. What are you going to title it? asked David, an hour later. Iwo slipped the head of the paintbrush into a jar of water. It released a cloud of yellow pigment. David, 27, in the artist's studio, she said. Come look. His knees cracked as he raised himself from the chair. Iwo was acutely aware of, of his musculature as he approached, of his copper eyes beaming and seeking like a cat's. David considered the canvas with his hands running over his chin, and then he was behind her with his arms clasped around her ample stomach. I will remember the first session how he had sunk onto the rug, pulling her with him, how her hands had stippled his body with charcoal dust, and how afterwards he had not been shy or embarrassed, as she had feared. It had been she who felt suddenly girlish, unable to differentiate between the steady warmth from the space heater and the rush of blood to her cheeks. David leaned into to her neck and said, I can keep my apartment in Baltimore. In two months, after graduation, he would move back to Los Angeles. His staying was a comforting idea, but she knew better. He was so young, so inexperienced, and so in love. It was the love that was especially dangerous that reminded Aiu to keep her distance in case he, too, spent his later years buying flowers and leaving them. "'It would just be a place I could never visit,' she said, raising his hand and kissing it. "'They stood together for a long time in front of David, 27, in the artist's studio. "'Iwu leaned into the fleshy cradle of his arms, "'knowing that to extricate herself from them was to untie another knot to this life, "'that after these moments the oil figure draped across the canvas "'would be the only way to find his eyes.'
0: A California native, Jenny Shea currently lives in Baltimore, Maryland, where she is an MFA candidate at Johns Hopkins University. Her work has appeared in Literary Laundry, The Monarch Review, and Riddle Fence, among other publications. How to Feed a Penguin, written and read by Anna Sakin. Listing time, 14 minutes, 10 seconds.
2: to feed a penguin. Adriana grabs a puffy fleece jacket from her car and puts it on. It's a warm June day, and the painted ice cubes on the aquarium site are cracked and fading, as if they too can't stand the heat. The white building is dingy, and someone has knocked one of the fins off a dolphin. But Adriana returns week after week to feed the penguins. We built this city, blast from a car stereo behind her. She turns to see Jeremy waving from his open window. She struggles with the zipper while he parks next to her. Good morning, Adriana. She wraps her purse strap across her shoulders and doesn't look up. Nice day, isn't it? Hmm, she says in response. Jeremy greeted her like this on her first day. She arrived 30 minutes early and watched from her car as a steady stream of people went into the staff-only entrance. She almost went home, humiliated by this latest defeat, until Jeremy tapped on her window. Are you the new volunteer? She nodded. Follow me. He led her through the staff-only door into the freezer. Today, as I walk down the hallway, the rubbery squeaking of her shoes helps her keep count while Jeremy tells her about his weekend. The soundless numbers echo in her head. There's this amazing hot dog place close to the pier. Have you been? She shakes her head. She's overwhelmed by the task in front of her. She lost count and no longer knows where she is. She wants to run from the building, but Jeremy blocks her way. She puts one step in front of another and tries not to cry. It was a mistake to come today. You really should try it. When you go, make sure you get the monster dog. Trust me. Maybe I can go back to the entrance and start over, thinks Adriana. But Jeremy holds the door open for her, and her stomach drops. They enter the locker room. She signs her name in the volunteer record book, her signature marked by tightly controlled loops of the A's in her first name. With a small flourish, she allows herself at the end of her last name. Adriana always chooses the locker on the left side, third from the top. She holds her breath as she opens the tiny door and exhales fully when she sees that the cube is empty. Jeremy chats with another volunteer at the sign-in table, Myrta or Miranda or something like that. The woman has a pretty smile, but Adriana can't work up the courage to talk to her. She considers inviting the woman to the hot dog stand, perhaps for a late lunch after they finish their volunteer duties. She lingers by the lockers, waiting for Jeremy to quit talking so she can ask her a question. But Jeremy is telling her all about his weekend, and the woman smiles. Adriana pulls her jacket closer and walks into the freezer. You're late. Cynthia interrupts her thoughts. I thought I would have to do this all by myself, she continues as she stuffs vitamins inside its medium-sized fish. Adriana puts on a pair of blue gloves and pulls a tray of sardines from the shelf to carry to the table. No, 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 what are you doing? Cindy puts down the fish and takes the tray from Adriana. We start with the larger fish. We do the sardine trays last. Adriana nods and mechanically follows Cindy's directions. Jeremy walks into the freezer. Cindy's gaze lingers on him for a moment before she returns to vitamin stuffing. Good morning, Cindy. Jeremy grabs the same bucket of sardines Adriana just returned. He walks over to the ice machine and starts scooping large shovels of ice into an empty bucket. The scoop crunches the ice and creates a loud drumming noise when it hits the fish. Adriana tries to ignore it by counting. The rhythm soothes her, and the tension in her stomach eases its grip. Adriana has tried exercise, meditation, herbal teas, but nothing seems to work like counting. Jeremy finishes scooping ice at last and carries the bucket to the table, whistling a tune Adriana vaguely remembers. He's so happy. Adriana tries to be happy for him, but he continues to whistle as he finishes the tray and does not stop whistling when he leaves the freezer for the penguin exhibit. No, it is too much for her. Adriana concentrates on stuffing the fish. Pinch the mouth, stuff the vitamin, toss into bucket, and repeat. What are you doing, Cindy says. It is a statement, not a question. Adriana holds a fish in her hand, the vitamin half protruding from the gullet. Cindy takes one of the fish out of Adriana's bucket and exaggerates the movements, like that. This is exactly what Adriana has been doing, and she knows Cindy must know this too. But Adriana re- understands that this need for perfection is as deep in Cindy's consciousness as her need to count. She forgives Cindy and continues to prepare the fish as before. When Adriana's bucket is finished, she follows Jeremy to the penguin area, through another hallway to a heavy door with multiple bolts and a large sign, Penguin Exhibit, Authorized Personnel Only. She reads the sign five times as she practiced the first day, and then puts her hand on the doorknob and repeats the words in her head five more times. She pulls the door open and steps into the penguin area. The smell... A mix of fish, ammonia, and the sea makes her eyes water. The ground is wet, the water sloshing over the fake rock. Her galoshes make a swishing sound that echoes off the plexiglass walls. The penguins hop out and waddle to her. When she was a little girl, she played with stuffed penguins the way some girls had tea time with their dolls. She knows the different species by heart. Macaronis and rockhoppers with their funny crested hats, African and Galapagos and chinstraps, her favorite. She memorized facts about penguins from a set of bush garden cards that arrived in the mail one day. There were cards on all sorts of animals, mangled tigers, koala bears, but only the corners of the penguin card became bent with use. Her parents made VHS tapes of Adriana walking with her hands glued to her body like flippers. She tries to remember what it is about penguins that fascinated her as a child, On the first day, she wanted to touch the top of their heads, but the wet, slippery, and filmy texture of their feathers was so different from her downy stuffed toys that she revolted in horror. Now they seem terrifying, like everything else. She reaches into the bucket and pulls out a fish. She wavers for a moment, hesitating between throwing the fish on the ground and feeding it directly to the first emperor she sees. But one of them, with bright plumage, has other ideas. He pushes his head into her side, Causing her to drop the fish. Once it hits the ground, the penguins become impatient. She feeds them quickly now. The bucket is half empty, then three quarters. Cindy walks around the rock. Have you seen Jeremy? Jeremy. Adriana shakes her head. Cindy looks around for a moment before she directs her attention to Adriana. Don't just stand there. Finish your bucket. We still have to clean the stinking mess. She walks back to the door. The trail of penguins following her through the rock entrance. She exclaims in frustration when a little rock hopper tries to escape. I don't understand it, thinks Adriano. Why would they want to leave? She certainly doesn't want to leave her home. Not when her pantry is out of food, not to drop off dry cleaning, not to go to the library. She would rather stay where it is safe and secure. The penguins have the perfect home. They get food, a clean home, they have friends, Lots of friends. The long-handed brooms and power washers are kept in a storage unit off to the side. Usually another volunteer would begin washing the walls, but they haven't, and she knows that she can't sweep until the dirt and film has been sprayed off. Adriana doesn't know what to do. She would never have volunteered for this. She is miles away from home, and even if she left this moment, she would have to walk down the hallway to the freezer, retrieve her keys from the locker. It's too much. And what's worse, none of this would have happened if Jeremy hadn't interrupted her counting. Her feet stick to the floor. Her nose starts to run as a lump forms in her throat, to think that things were getting better. She squeezes her eyes shut, counts to five, all the while clenching and releasing her fists. All right. Okay. The coils are neatly organized, bound to the wall with a leather strap. She undoes the strap and the nozzles free. She begins wrapping the coil around her arms, counting the loops as she goes, feeling almost relaxed. She carries the coils into the hallway, opens the door. The penguins are no longer waiting for her. They found something new to investigate namely, the trays of sardines Jeremy placed throughout the enclosure. The penguins are not interested in the sardines, at least, not yet. They would rather follow Jeremy as he walks along the perimeter, setting out the trays. He looks up. Oh, hey there! He waves. He sets down the last tray and walks over to her. Do you want any help with that? He gestures to the long nozzle of the power washer. She shakes her head no and fiddles with the handle. A powerful stream of water pounds against the rocks and nearly knocks the hose out of her hands. The geyser sprays all over the plaster, the floor, and her as she tries to get it under control. Jeremy takes the nozzle and manages to turn it off. The sudden silence is almost as startling as the spray. by surprise, Adriana waits for Jeremy to chastise her, but he smiles instead. Here, let me. He turns the water back on. With his help, Adriana regains control. He slowly lets go, and she is in charge. She begins moving the stream back and forth along the rocks, just like the other volunteers. Brown and green water flows into the drains. Some penguins play in the mist, diving into the water and then sliding onto the rock. Each one is tagged with an identification number around their flipper so they can no longer hold them close to their body. How uncomfortable, she thinks. And then, how ridiculous. This feeding, this cleaning. The day is absolutely ruined. I'll get the broom, says Jeremy. Wherever he goes, the penguins follow. He sweeps the floor when he returns, pushing the water on its path to the drain and cleaning away bits of penguin poo. Swish, swish, boom. Swish, swish, boom. The penguins dance out of the way, and then form into clusters again. The sound echoes and mixes with the penguins' clicks and chirps. Swish, swish, boom. Swish, swish, boom. Adriana grits her teeth. Jeremy starts whistling. This man is incredible. She can't think of a good excuse to leave or escape. At least she has nearly finished cleaning the walls. With the rope coiled around her arms, she carries the hose to the storage cabinet. The whistling fades as she returns to the freezer. Cindy is there. Her back is turned to her, but she sees Cindy's hand wipe something away from her face. Cindy. The word? Adriana's first that day sticks in her throat. What do you want? Cindy's response comes like a knife in the dark. Do you need anything else? Adriana holds her breath. With any luck, Cindy will say no and then Adriana can go home. No. Adriana's elated. She walks to her locker, but again, Cindy's voice stops her. Well, yes, maybe there is something. She speaks softly. Adriana pauses and closes her eyes. she had taken four steps. She needs to take another to make five. She waits, unsure what to do next. What is it? Adriana asks. Cindy does not respond right away. Adriana wonders if perhaps she misheard but then Cindy answers, has Jeremy, she interrupts herself, I mean, has he, wait, no, I won't ask that, does he, she stammers and stops talking, Adriana barely hears her over the sound of her own beating heart, this is the longest she has ever spent between steps four and five, and she wakes for the expected panic attack to bubble in her throat, but so far she doesn't feel anything, and that worries her even more, Cindy's hiccuping cries distract her. Has Jeremy what? Now she wants to know the end of the question. She turns to face Cindy, breaking the spell of her counting. Does he ever talk about me? Adriana shrugs. He talks about everything. Cindy spits out the words. No, I mean, does he talk about me specifically? Sure, I guess. What does he say? Um, Adriana begins, but... She hears the door to the penguin area open. The women wait in silence. Jeremy walks in, still whistling. You're such a fast worker, Adriana, he says. Already done. A miracle. Oh, says Adriana, unsure what to make of this compliment. She watches Cindy, who glares at her. The conversation is over. Okay, well, I'm heading home. Adios. He whistles as he exits the locker room. Bye. Adriana stares at the floor. Did she really just say that? The whistling fades as Jeremy leaves. Adriana stands in the middle of the room waiting. Cindy's pen fills the silence. She looks up with stealing eyes. Shift is over. You can go home now. Adriana nods. She takes another step. This would have been five, but her anxiety is gone. She walks to the door with only silence in her head. She pauses at the threshold. See you next week. She flashes a brief smile
0: and leaves. Anna Sakin lives and writes in Houston, Texas. Her reviews have appeared in Pleiades, Contro River Review, The Byron Journal, and elsewhere. She blogs at annasakin.com. dot ncom Listener supported at Bound Off is made possible by grants from the Kern Family Endowed Fund. Further support comes from the Google Grants Program. Thanks for listening to this edition of Bound Off. Copyright Bound Off and the respective authors, all rights reserved. Visit our website at boundoff.com for information about our broadcasts and how to submit your stories.